Welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and let me tell you now, we have a huge show coming your way today with a very special guest as we react to the loss to the Saints. Is the consensus changing about Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco? And we dive into the upsetting truth about Kyle Shanahan. Joining us today, he covers the Niners for Sports Illustrated's All 49ers SI, and he's also the co-host of the Faithful Fanatic podcast, it's Nick Newman. Nick, before we jump into the show, I want to actually share with the listeners how this came to be. Because the Niners lost on Sunday, and I was working at 957 The Game, and you called into the studio, and you wanted to talk about Kyle Shanahan. And your ability to respectively rip into Kyle Shanahan is what caught my eye. Now, I know you're from Twitter, and I know you're from Cover the Niners, but but it got me very excited to to talk to you. And I immediately DM'd you afterwards and said, Nick, I need you on. Can you make it on Tuesday? And, and I, all, all I can say is I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you today, Nick. Sterling, first and foremost, thank you for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. You know, I'm good friends with Joe Shasky. Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky, one of my good friends at 95.7 The Game. We go way back. I was talking to him at halftime. And he's like, dude, you got to call into the show because we were talking about the first half and how there were just so many missed opportunities and what particularly struck me about the first half of the game, among many things, looking at Kyle Shanahan, was the fourth and one play called the run gun to Jarek McKinnon. And I have a very unique way, in a way I should not feel should even be unique to begin with, of evaluating players and evaluating talent. I feel like when fans and those in the media, going back to last year, the 49ers roster was absolutely loaded absolutely loaded so now that the team is so depleted with injuries they are holding off on placing judgment on the coaching staff and on the players because they're not in the same position that they were in last year there's a lot of injuries across the board but you should still be able to evaluate individuals and decision making and that's where I'm at with Kyle Shanahan I understand he does not have Raheem Mostert he does not have Debo Samuel, those things, injuries, injuries are out of your control, but there's certain things that you can control, such as how you're choosing to utilize the personnel that you have. Kyle Juszczyk having such a minimal role is inexcusable. He's one of the more talented players on offense. You have all of these injuries. So why is Kyle Shanahan not implementing more of Kyle Juszczyk in the game plan? I have a problem with that. Secondly, the play calling. I've gone back just before this podcast and took a look at all of Kyle Shanahan's fourth down play calls. He has given it to Jarek McKinnon out of the shotgun on two different occasions. The first time was in the first half against the Miami Dolphins when the 49ers were only down seven points. He gave the ball to Jarek McKinnon out of the shotgun. He got stuffed. Then you fast forward. This wasn't a fourth down, but against the Seahawks, the wildcat call to Jarek McKinnon on third and five or whatever it was that got stuffed. You give the ball to Jarek McKinnon on a fourth and one against the Saints out of the shotgun, and it gets stuffed. You know who you gave the ball to on fourth and one against the Seahawks out of the shotgun, and it worked? Jamichael Hasty. When you're lined up in the shotgun, it's not like when you're in the I formation and when you get the handoff, you're going downhill you're kind of at a standstill alongside of the quarterback. You're waiting for the quarterback to feel the snap and hand you off the ball so you can go and make something happen afterward. Jarek McKinnon's not explosive. He's lost all of his explosiveness. There's a reason why he's nicknamed Tired Legs McKinnon because that was a report that came out a few weeks back. Jamichael Hasty has fresh legs. So there's two things I disagree with. You watch Jermichael Hasty. He converted that fourth and one against the Seahawks. He hits the hole quickly. He has that explosiveness that Jarek McKinnon does not have. So there's two faults on Kyle Shanahan. Excuse me. One, the play call. Time and time again on these run guns, you're getting stuffed. Your offensive line has not done a good job run blocking. And secondly, the choice of personnel. Opting to go with Jarek McKinnon on a shotgun draw up the middle that had no chance opposed to Jamichael Hasty, who was not injured yet at this point when that's what's actually worked when you try doing it in the past. 
You know, Nick, you got really ahead of me there, but I'm happy you did because you came in with the energy, you came in hot, and that's exactly why I wanted you to come on today because you're passionate and everything you just said is everything I agree with. And you know, we are going to talk about Kyle Shanahan later, but let's do it right now because I think this is the best moment. We both feel the exact same way and, and because we care about this team. We see the struggles and we see what works and what doesn't work. And to be frank, it pisses us off to see this this continually happening. Um, you mentioned Tyre Legs McKinnon. You mentioned the fourth down play. And like you said, it didn't work against Miami. It didn't work against Seattle. It doesn't work. It has not worked with McKinnon. It, it is so frustrating to see Kyle Shanahan do the same thing over and over and over again and expect something different to happen. It's so frustrating to sit back and say, everyone knows it's coming. Yes, you can bank on Lake and Tomlinson actually hitting a block and Ross Burley actually holding a block, but guess what? They haven't done it all season. And so it's frustrating to see Kyle Shanahan, who we herald as this offensive genius, make the same dumb mistake over and over and over again. But to me, that play is the epitome of who Kyle Shanahan is. Which, it's awful to say because he doesn't give up on players that clearly are not contributors, you know, a.k.a. Dante Pettis. He, He blew two Super Bowls for almost the exact same reason trying to do a pass play on third down when you don't need to, not running the ball late in the game. Now, granted, the defense didn't play well for Atlanta. But then he continually chooses to run this, this shotgun fourth and one with a tire like McKinnon, and it never works. And I don't think it's wrong of me to say that Kyle Shanahan's ego or lack of awareness holds him back. It holds this Niners team back a lot of the time in pivotal situations like against the Dolphins, when the team needs to score and build momentum. Like against Seattle, when Garoppolo already looks rattled and you have to get some points on the board as soon as you can because Russell Wilson's starting to heat up. Or against the Saints, when you need this fourth down. You can go up possibly 14 nothing against the Saints on the road with a Drew Brees who doesn't look right. Like These are times where he needs to have uh, the, the killer instinct and he's choosing these plays where you're saying this doesn't even work 10% of the time. But isn't that who Kyle Shanahan is though? He gets away from what works when it matters. I would totally agree with your assessment that the play calling, the doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, right? Isn't that the perfect example of um, insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. We've seen this story play out so many different times on these fourth downs with Kyle Shanahan's play calling. I'm not a fan of using the term lost season or the season's irrelevant now because the 49ers are not in a position where they can win the Super Bowl, let alone make the playoffs. That is looking darker and darker. The chances of that are looking slimmer and slimmer as the season progresses. But there is always something to take away from what happens on Sunday or on Monday or on Thursday or whatever the hell the day of the week the game falls on. And Kyle Shanahan needs to be able to be that mastermind on these critical fourth downs. You go back to the Rams game, the first time the 49ers converted on a fourth down this season. He got the ball to his best player that was on the field. Jimmy Garoppolo dropped back and hit George Kittle. Beautiful pass, took it to the end zone. It was a fourth and two, turned into six points touchdown. When it's fourth and two, you're at the opponent's 40-yard line. You're not expecting a touchdown there, but hell, you'll take it. But the bottom line is you got the ball to your best player. Yes, Debo Samuel's out. Yes, Raheem Mostert's out. But Jarek McKinnon is not your best player on offense. You still have Brandon Ayuk. You have Jordan Reed, who's been playing out of his mind when healthy. Jamichael Hasty is your most explosive back. So that's what I'm talking about. It's not only a poor decision. The choice of personnel is equally as bad. And Kyle Shanahan, he has his guys. That's been extremely clear over the last four years. He has his guys that he's going to go with. And even if things are not panning out and it's a shame because it does hold back the team and it's extremely frustrating to watch. Bill Walsh had this saying, or he'll abide by champions behave like champions before they are champions. And what we are seeing from Kyle Shanahan right now, not that he's not capable of being a champion, but he's not calling the games to the best of his abilities. And that's what's really concerning and bothersome to me because the 49ers still have a shot to sneak into the dance and make things happen in the playoffs. Crazier things have happened in the NFL. You just don't write off this season. Like I said earlier, there's always something to take away. 
And it's extremely, extremely frustrating to watch. Yeah, I think you hit on something uh, there, which, and I've been saying this since February when I started the podcast, where Kyle Shanahan doesn't get enough of the blame. Yes, he gets memed for the two Super Bowl losses, which is rightfully so. And But we blame Garoppolo when the offense plays poor. And sometimes that's justifiable. We blame Sala for the Dolphins game. And to a certain part, that's justifiable. But you can look at those games and say, well, Sala didn't have the personnel. And you can look at Shanahan and say, well, you know, he doesn't have the personnel he usually would have. Fourth and one, you'd like to give the ball to Mostert or Juszczyk, maybe even Kittle. Like, like, there are things you can make excuses for. But we're talking about Week 10 versus the Saints in the Voodoo Dome when the entire world isn't watching, where the entire world can't scrutinize him. Only Niner fans can. Only Niner fans can sit back and say, look, this is a flaw. We need you to fix this. Because we're going to need this to happen in a big game one day, and they're going to pull this again, and it's not going to work, and it's going to cost us. Now, granted, it didn't cost them the game against the Saints, but imagine if they're up 14-0 on the road. Then it's an entirely different ballgame. You're ahead going into halftime, and you have all momentum. Because the defense played phenomenal, and we're going to talk about them, but, but they played phenomenal. But Kyle Shanahan is making the same bonehead mistakes he made in Cleveland, in Washington, in Atlanta, and it's happening again. And we, we want to call him the offensive genius. Is he a top offensive mind? Yes. But is he, is, is he the next Belichick? No. Not even close. To me, to me, Kyle Shanahan is the next Andy Reid. And, and here's why I say that. It's it, because it took Reid 20 years to get a ring. And that doesn't mean he didn't have a great team in Philadelphia, because he did. McNabb, T.O., Westbrook, uh, Jeremiah Trotter, Javon Kirst. That team was stacked. And they were in the playoffs consistently. I can see that from Kyle Shanahan. But there's a reason why when Andy Reid got fired from Philadelphia, he said, okay, I'm probably going to get a job somewhere else, but I have to look at the mistakes I made and fix them. Look at the weaknesses my team had and fix them. Adapt to the NFL that's happening now. A, a franchise quarterback who has a big arm. McNabb never had that. Get receivers who can explode up the field. He never had that besides Teal in Philadelphia. Now, granted, that's 20 years ago compared to now. It's a different NFL. But Andy Reid is someone who had to look in the mirror and say, look, I have to make some changes. I have to do something different because what I did in Philadelphia didn't work. It led to heartbreak. He was someone who could never get it done. And to me, Shanahan looks just like that. He's great. But he's in this weird space where he's like just not good enough. And after years of not being good enough and not being able to make the adjustments, because we've seen it in four years now, he's not able to do that. It'll be too late. And there's no part of me that thinks in six years when his contract's up, I'll be able to look back and say, wow, Shanahan really made the adjustments and got the job done. I just think he needs to have the personnel in there to do it. Now, again... You, you can make these excuses, but to me, Shanahan is just kind of in this space where it's like, yeah, you're really good, but you you haven't shown me anything that, show, that, that tells me you can make the adjustment to actually get better. You're the same guy you were six years ago, and you can't do that in the NFL. It's great who you are, but you gotta be better and adjust to the mistakes you make, and he doesn't do that. Sterling, you're raising great points about Shanahan being the same coach that he was six years ago. He's a, a glorified offensive coordinator. Yes, his title is the head coach. He has his hands all over the offense. He's the only one calling plays. He has no help. It's his offense. Robert Sala, in my opinion, is out coaching Kyle Shanahan this year, and it's yes. funny. Thank you. It, it, yes. it's, it's, it's not close. You know, it, you see Robert Sala, no one's feeling sorry for him. He doesn't, he doesn't have Nick Bosa. He doesn't have D Ford. Richard Sherman's out. Granted, you can make the argument, well, there's more options as far as the coverage the defense can run without Richard Sherman on the field. So ultimately, it makes them better. There's more flexibility there. But the bottom line is he lost a variety of pieces. Nick Bosa, D Ford, DeForest Buckner. He's made guys like Kerry Hyder with the help of defensive line coach Chris Kosirik really step up. Why is Robert Sala able to maintain his defense playing at a high level despite all of the injuries? And we are seeing Kyle Shanahan not be able to hold up his side of the bargain. You can argue that the defense has been hit harder with injuries up until the Seahawks game when both Garoppolo and Kittle were out. Then you say, okay, now the offense is arguably caught up with the devastating injuries on that side of the ball. Kyle Shanahan 
get so much credit for being this offensive guru that gets the most out of his players. And I don't think we've been seeing that over the course of the last couple games. He has not gotten the most out of Nick Mullins. Yes, there's a huge talent differential between Nick Mullins and Jimmy Garoppolo. You know what's funny is people always bring up the argument, well, you need to have talent. And I'm just like, yeah, and you need air to breathe. Like that sort of comment is just so obvious to me. Of course you need talent to be at the very best, but the best coaches make their players better. Look at Jimmy Garoppolo in 2017. Look at his weapons. He had Trent Taylor and Kendrick Bourne and Marquise Goodwin, a bunch of wide receivers who have not really developed, though Kendrick Bourne has gone on to have a very solid career. Marquise Goodwin and Trent Taylor completely have fallen off since 2017. Great quarterbacks, or when they're at their best, are making those around them better. The same goes for the head coach or the offensive coordinator. When you're down a couple guys, you find ways to get the most out of what you're working with. Whatever tools are left in your toolbox, you find a way to utilize them to their best of their abilities. That's what a great play caller does. Kyle Shanahan is a wizard, but the consistency is not there as much as you would like to see. It doesn't mean that he can't turn it around and all of a sudden start nailing fourth down plays and limit these Jarek McKinnon in the wildcat runs up the middle that have no shot of working. So that's where I'm at with Kyle Shanahan. Yes, he has all these tricks up his sleeve that he'll occasionally use at the right time, but when the game really matters and it comes down to him making the right call, he's been fumbling the bag this season. That's the simple way to put it. Yeah, I agree with you. And again, like I said, you can go back to his tenure in every place he's been, and you can say that the same issues exist. But besides Shanahan, Let's talk about some positive things, because you mentioned Robert Sala, and I was someone after the Dolphins game said, what are we doing? Like, 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 what is going on? Like, this shouldn't happen. Now, again, talk to my good friend Eric Crocker, and he explains to me, well, yeah, Sala is to blame, but he don't have anybody out there. Like, 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 like look who's playing secondary. Yeah, Ken Webster and Brian Allen, who one of them is no longer here, and Ken Webster uh, doesn't know how to get out of the way for a punt. So, really, when you look at it, Sala has taken... The biggest hit this year due to injury. Like, like you said, lost E4, lost Nick Bosa. Lost, he lost his, you could arguably say, other than Fred Warner, he lost his three best defensive players when they're on the field. B- Buckner, Bosa, and Sherman. And I haven't even mentioned D4, and I haven't even mentioned trading Quan Alexander, who hasn't played well this year. Like, he's lost everybody. And he's put people in and made them stick someplace. Jason Verrett has been phenomenal this year. But he has this unit playing at a top five defense in the league without the, the, the top tier guys. And you can argue, take away the Dolphins game. This is a top two defense in the NFL. Like, granted, you can say there are holes on the, on the defensive line and we're, we're going to get into R instead because we kind of have to at this point. But I want to focus on someone who I know you like, Nick, and I know I like. And we have been clamoring for him to play and get on the field since day one. And that's Tarvarius Moore. Now, I talked about him in the offseason. I said, you know, like, this is a guy who he's going to be the X factor in deciding how the Niners handle Jaquiski Tart. I saw some potential in more last year in the Bucks game. He, dro- he dropped a few picks he should have had. He had the big play in the Super Bowl, which should have iced that game for San Francisco. Now, we're not going to get into that because you know it hurts too much. But in that tweet I sent out uh, in, in March, I compared and calculated what more stats would be if you gave him Tart's 2019 snap count. 48 tackles and 9 pass defenses. Now, again, no interceptions, but he already has a forced fumble this year that happened against the Saints. He's getting turnovers, more than Tart already has this year. He has elite speed, runs a 4-3-2 40-yard dash. And while he does need to improve the coverage skills, this this is a guy who should be on the field the majority of the game. Like, I don't want to see Jimmy Ward out there half the time anymore. Because he doesn't do his job. He Yes, he played well against the Saints, and he played well against the Rams. But Moore has... Again, the X-Hactor, he has something else to him that Ward and Tart have never had. He has this innate ability to get the ball back for you. And Ward and Tart don't have that. And so I want to ask you, do you feel the same way I do about Tavarius Moore? And what do you think he can become in this league? Short answer, yes. Absolutely. Tarvarius Moore is such a compelling prospect. And I'm going to call him a prospect because we've seen him in such small doses that we truly don't know 
what kind of safety he is. But it's easy to look at what he has done on the field and say, wow, this guy has a lot of the traits, a lot of the skill sets that translate to being a, a very good NFL safety. And you nailed it talking about Jimmy Ward. We're coming up on almost exactly four years until Jimmy Ward has last intercepted a pass. He had one thrown right to him by Jameis Winston in the second half against the Saints and dropped it. Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tart, they are very safe safeties. You're comfortable with them roaming the defensive backfield, knowing they do a good job of mitigating explosive plays and keeping everything in front of them. They're safe. But the contract that Jimmy Ward received this offseason does not scream out a safety who is safe. It screams out a safety that should be making game-changing plays, picking off passes, forcing fumbles. Jimmy Ward does not do any of that, does not do any of that. And you know, in Robert Sala's scheme, the free safety and the strong safety are interchangeable. And I was going back and forth with a few people on Twitter about this, that because of Tarverius Moore's stature, he's very tall and lean. He's not a bulky guy. No one thinks he's capable of playing in the box, and that's completely incorrect. Against the Patriots, Moore was lining up as the single high free safety. He was lining up in the box, making plays around the line of scrimmage. He's a very physical safety, very physical, who can make plays. He has a nose for a football, and so does Marcel Harris. I'm not as high on Marcel Harris as I am Tarverius Moore, but I got to give Marcel Harris some credit. He's constantly around the football finding ways to punch out the ball, creating forced fumbles, or recovering a loose ball. He had two fumble recoveries against the Saints. Those two have potential, and I like how they're using Harris in this hybrid linebacker safety role now, similarly to what they did with Jaquaski Tart before this regime took over. I like Harris in that role. Having that versatility and that mobility at the linebacker spot is going to help against guys like Kyler Murray, mobile quarterbacks. You know, that's not what we saw in Drew Brees by any means. But back to Tarverius Moore, his ceiling is higher than Jimmy Ward. He should be on the field. And I thought it was the biggest slap in the face to completely sideline him against the Seahawks after his performance against the Patriots. Going back before he had the opportunity to start against the Patriots, because both Jaquaski Tart and Jimmy Ward were injured, he played like two or fewer snaps in all four of the previous games. Absolutely inexcusable, in my opinion. He was your third-round pick two years ago. In 2018, you took him in the third round, and you are not making it a priority whatsoever to develop him. It's maddening to me. And now that you get him on the field, he's flashing. He's playing extremely well. So I'm very happy that the 49ers are finally allowing him to play and allowing him to develop question is, why did it take so long? Why did it have to take both Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tart for him to finally play? I'm not saying he should take over the starting job by any means, but just give him 15, 20 snaps per game. They were not doing that. And now they finally are. So I'm excited to see Tarverius Moore, I'd say, is one of the top five players I'm most interested in seeing this season close out. I talked to Grant Cohn in the offseason during the Jamal Adams trade rumors, and he even said, a safety tandem of Adams and Moore would be something extraordinary to see. Now we see what Adams has been in Seattle and may walk back and say, <laughs> maybe, maybe we're happy that didn't happen. But again, Moore is someone who I look on and I see him play and I go, wow, like there's something there. And the in the back of my head, I want to say the reason why he hasn't seen the field enough is because he wasn't the Kyle Shanahan guy. Because you look at how Shanahan does things is that the way he treats Ayuk, you can tell he's his guy. You can tell Kyle Shanahan loves Brandon Ayuk. He loves Debo Samuel. And Brandon Ayuk has become... Receiver number one. I mean, he looks better than Debo Samuel did at this point last year. Like He looks more explosive. And while I do love Debo, we all love Debo. Uh, he isn't always a matchup nightmare going deep or on the outside. Brandon Ayuk is. And, and he can be running a slant or running the out. He is someone who, he's great with screens and the end arounds. And, but Ayuk is even better with using the boundary to his advantage. And to me, he reminds me of a Steve Smith kind of Derek Mason hybrid where he'll go up and get it. He's physical in the air. And, and when you get him an open field, you don't want to touch him because he's so violent with the ball. And I think when you see him play, he just reminds me of someone who I say, he may never be an all-pro guy, 
But when you put him in there, he's going to give you 800 yards a year, nearly 1,000 yards a year, going to give you four to five touchdowns and be versatile in every way possible. Like, he looks like a star in this Niners offense. I would totally agree with your assessment of Brandon Ayuk. And both Ayuk and Debo Samuel were taken high in the draft. Debo was right up there, top of the second round. Brandon Ayuk was in the first round, selected in the first round. They are both making Kyle Shanahan look extremely good in his decision-making. Debo Samuel, he was a little quiet, you know, in the beginning of last year and then completely burst onto the scene, just took over, became a huge part of the 49ers' identity and was a huge reason why the team was as successful as they were on offense. And now looking at Brandon Ayuk, you nailed it. Brandon Ayuk is a pure receiver. There is like this negative connotation when you toss around the word gadget player, but I'm sorry, that's what Debo Samuel is. He's not a true receiver, and that's not a knock on Debo Samuel. I wrote this piece on Dante Pettis last season. I know people are probably sick of hearing about Dante Pettis. And one of the themes in my article was you cannot knock a player for playing to their skill set. Dante Pettis was not a physical receiver, and that bothered a lot of people. And I said, you can go on to have a successful NFL career without having to be physical, using your finesse and your craft and your deceptive movements. That can translate to being a successful receiver. It's not all about, I'm going to bully you. So I don't think there's anything wrong with calling plays to cater to your skill position players playing style. So when I call Debo Samuel a gadget player, it's not a knock on him. It is what he is. He's a gadget. He's a hybrid between a wide receiver and a running back. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. He's listed and labeled a wide receiver. Brandon Ayuk's a true wide receiver. He's a guy that can catch the ball on all levels, make plays on all levels against the defense. That's not Debo Samuel. Is he good in the short area passing game and those intermediate routes? Absolutely. Look at all the yards he's picked up when balls are thrown his way at or behind the line of scrimmage this year. The vast majority of his receiving yards have come in such form. So I'm high on Brandon Ayuk. He's the clear number one receiver moving forward. And Debo Samuel is a perfect complementary piece for Kyle Shanahan's offense and for Brandon Ayuk. And Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think you said it perfectly there that Ayuk and Samuel, they complement each other perfectly. And uh, I've gone on to say that Ayuk reminds me a little of Larry Fitzgerald, albeit a little more quicker in his routes. Uh, and and uh, they kind of have their Bolden and Fitzgerald combo, albeit Samuel is more of a running back than Bolden ever was. And it really isn't as physical in the air as I'd like him to be, but he's still phenomenal. But one player, and speaking of physicality, who I know me and you may have a problem with, and that might be Eric Armstead here. And it's so frustrating to watch him play. Uh, and I get it, no Nick Bosa, no D Ford, so it's kind of hard to say, well, he's a different guy and everything. But with Eric Armstead, he's a non-factor on 90% of the plays. And as a team who is paying him an estimated $17 million a year, which again is not what it actually is due to cap hits and everything, but they're locked into this guy at least until 2023. So I want to ask you bluntly, what is going on with Eric Armstead? I want to tie Eric Armstead into Jimmy Ward, if you don't mind me doing so. I like to call the two of them the $113 million men. That's the combination of their contract worth that they received this offseason. And quite frank, to be as blunt as possible, and I, it's just going to come off as harsh, but I truly believe they got rich and received these big contracts because they benefited from their peers to the highest possible extent. And now when you take away Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner's no longer there, who took on so many double teams in years past, D Ford's not healthy, what do you get? You get the Eric Armstead you saw the previous three, four seasons, where he was largely regarded as a major disappointment, a player who was drafted in the first round, a player who went right before Marcus Peters in the draft, if I remember correctly, 
Nobody was thrilled with what they were seeing from Eric Armstead the first three, four years of his career before last season. Last season, it's it's not a coincidence that all of a sudden there's this plethora of talent on the defensive line and Armstead suddenly becomes a double-digit sack guy during a contract season. It just it's it bothers me more than anything else. Like, how could you not see that this player is not going to be the same once you take away the pieces around him? And I get it. Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, Adam Peters, all the decision makers who were in on giving arms to that contract saw him as a complimentary piece. They thought they had Nick Bosa. They knew they had Javon Kinlaw. They were going to target him after they acquired that draft pick from the Colts. They thought D Ford was going to be healthy this season, which was very head scratching in my opinion, because if you followed along D Ford's career, you knew that the likelihood of him getting hurt was going to be significantly high. My problem is giving that much money to a complimentary player. If you're going to give out an $85 million contract, you need to have game-changing abilities on your own. And that's just not Eric Armstead. When you take away the players around him, he becomes the bust we saw the first three, four years. Granted, he turned things around last year, had a very solid season, but it was a fluke. Eric Armstead's season last year was a fluke. He's not playing as hard as he was playing last year. There was a couple clips that I posted against the Saints game. There was a play where he was blatantly jogging, trying to take down Alvin Kamara. So I don't know what's going on with Eric Armstead. He is a very good run defender. And as far as getting after the quarterback, it's just happening few and far between, which is maddening considering the contract he received this offseason. I'm looking at his stats right now. And he's played nine games this year. Granted, he's on the COVID list, so hopefully he gets healthy and everything's okay. But it, all nine of his QB hits have come in two games. So he's been a non-factor in eight games this year. It, it, it's ridiculous. He only has, uh, he's totaled uh, one and a half sacks. He was more impactful in 2016 when he only played eight games. Like, he's not been the same player. And I get it, you, you can look at the stats and go, well, that's not really... Uh, deciding on how well a player is played. Because you look at pressure, you look at you know, if they're taking on double teams, and more goes into it. And I don't want to criticize someone's heart and their drive to play the game because I'm sure if I was on this team and on this roster right now in 2020, I would say, I don't, don't want to play anymore. <laughs> like, it's been that bad. But, and, and like the video you talked about, you mentioned Eric Armstead takes plays off. Now, every player does this to a certain extent. Uh, even LeBron James takes defense off usually. Like, like there are certain guys who can do that. But... Like, let's dive into this. As a player who's getting paid $17 million a year, estimated, you don't have the luxury of taking a playoff, especially on a team that doesn't have their top pass rusher, doesn't have their best corner, doesn't have the the, the opposite side edge rusher that lost their in, in interior defensive lineman to force Buckner via trade, that is playing next to a rookie 13th overall pick trying to learn and adapt to the league. Like, you don't get to do what you're doing. Now, if he was having an impact on 90% of the plays and taking off 10%, I'd be okay with it. But the issue is you're taking off plays and then not even attributing to the rest of them the entire game. Like, for someone who's getting paid $17 million, you don't get to take a, a, a playoff and then not contribute the rest of the game. Like, it's disgusting to look at because I like Eric Armstead. He's a great guy. He's a great person. And I, I don't want to criticize him directly, but his play on the field has been awful for someone who is getting paid that much money. Like, you mentioned he's been the bust we saw a few years ago. Well, when you're getting paid $17 million, you, you are creeping into Albert Haynes' worth of waste of a contract type money. And you just can't do that. I 100% agree with you. And of course, we're evaluating Eric Armstead, the football player. You and I, both of us, we don't, I, I'll speak for myself. I don't know Eric Armstead personally. And I know when he talks to the media, he likes to touch on social justice issues, which I'm all about myself. So I have nothing but the utmost respect towards Eric Armstead, the human. My job, your job, for anyone in the media, we critique strictly the player. And when I look at Eric Armstead, the player, I'm just very taken back. And, you know, it's interesting to follow along how someone plays after getting paid. And I'm not saying Eric Armstead's not playing as hard as he did last year. 
because he got paid this offseason. He was working hard to ensure he would get that contract. But the human nature element, when you know your annual reviews coming up or you have a performance evaluation coming up and a X amount of money rests on how you're doing, you're going to work way harder leading up to that point than after you get the race or whatever the case may be. That's just kind of human nature. So it's interesting to always follow along to how athletes perform after they get paid. And again, I'm not saying Eric Armstead's not putting forth maximum effort like it seemed like he was doing last year because of that reason. It's just something that as a fan, I've always been intrigued by over the years is, is this player going to continue to play the same exact way after receiving that contract. And it's funny, you know, you look at baseball players all the time and there's guys who will hit for 270 throughout the first, they'll, they'll hit 270 for the first five, six years of their career. All of a sudden they're eligible to hit the free agent market. Here comes a 320 season where they hit a career high in home runs. Like this stuff is true. It happens. And the question then becomes, can they sustain the level of play they were able to achieve beforehand after receiving the contract? And you dropped a great name with Albert Albert Hainsworth. I have not heard that name in a while. And you're right. I really do like Eric Arms that he was phenomenal last season. You just want more out of someone that is receiving that much money. And Armstead, with that captain badge, knowing he's, like you touched on, getting $17 million a year estimated, it's baffling to see. It really is. And it's just, it's frustrating to watch. He's under a microscope. And I've been extremely hard on Armstead because of the reasons I just talked about. He's the leader of this team. You're supposed to turn to the leaders first when things are not going accordingly, in addition to the head coach, who is also a leader. So Armstead, it's unfortunate that everything he does is under a microscope and being observed by myself and other skeptics out there, but that's what comes with the big contract. Eyes are always going to be on you after you get that big contract and when you're wearing that C on your chest. Well, let's talk about someone else who has that big contract and the C on their chest, that being Jimmy Garoppolo. Kyle Shanahan kind of broke Niners Twitter today by stating, I expect Jimmy Garoppolo to be our starter next year. Now, just that line alone catches your eye and you go, wait, what? Like, that's not what you heard the last month and a half, the last you know, two months. But then you read the entire statement and you say, Shanahan would go on and say, I hope Jimmy can come back and be a part of that. But to think that we've made any decisions on anybody going into the future isn't the case. Jimmy's won a lot of games for us this year. And it's a lot harder to win games when he's not here. I'm just hoping we can get him back. Now, my first response when I read that is I'm reading between the lines. And if Garoppolo is the guy, that's fine. I have no problem with Garoppolo being the guy. I like Garoppolo. He's limited, but I like him enough to be here next year. But knowing how the NFL works, knowing how this season has gone, knowing head scout Adam Peters was at BYU scouting Zach Wilson, when Shanahan says, I expect Garoppolo to be our starter next year, to me, that is the smart way of telling other teams, Hey, if you want Garoppolo, he's not going to come cheap, but you can have him. Like, hey, we don't necessarily want to trade him, but if you come to us and give us a second round pick or or, or, or a low-end late first round draft pick, maybe even a high third round draft pick, we're not going to say no. I would totally agree. I put zero stocks, zero eggs into the basket that Kyle Shanahan actually believes that Jimmy Garoppolo will be the starting quarterback for the team next season. I don't buy it for a second. And I believe he was very careful, very careful with his wording by saying, I expect him does not mean it's going to happen. It would be one thing if he were to say something along the lines of Jimmy Garoppolo will be our starting quarterback in 2021, but saying you expect him expectations are fluid. They're consistently changing. Sure. Back in November of 2020, you may have expected Garoppolo to be the starting quarterback the following season, but here comes March and April where the NFL Combine's taking place. Maybe uh, Dak Prescott or Matt Stafford shakes loose and enters the free agent market. Now, all of a sudden, your expectations regarding who's going to be the 2020 starting quarterback have shifted. So expectations are fluid. They're always changing. You nailed it by saying Kyle Shanahan left the door open for teams to understand this team is not committed to Jimmy Garoppolo 
starting in 2021. Yes, it's the expectation because he's on the roster right now. He's under contract for next season right now. But that can certainly change. And that closing quote where he talked about they have not made any decisions regarding the starting job of the future, that's the most important line for me. So he opens up saying he expects Garoppolo to be the starting quarterback and then closes with that. And that's which carries the most weight for me. That final quote that they have not made any decisions regarding the future. I would be shocked. I would be shocked if Garoppolo was this team's starting quarterback in 2021. And for Garoppolo's own sake, I would want to get the hell out of Santa Clara anyway. Kyle Shanahan has not treated, in my opinion, Garoppolo to a very fair degree, I guess you can say. When you hear Bill Belichick talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, he gushes over him, absolutely gushes over him. Kyle Shanahan's extremely hard on Garoppolo, and I don't think Garoppolo likes that element of their relationship. So if Jimmy Garoppolo has any say in this, I don't even think he wants to come back to the 49ers. He's better off with a clean slate starting anew elsewhere. Well, I think when you look at Kyle Shanahan, he really is kind of hard on all his quarterbacks. He may talk better about them, but I'm I'm sure you've noticed, but he has become more expressive on the sideline with his body language, with the frustration he has. When when Nick Mullins throws a pick or Beathard underthrows a receiver who's open for you know a 50-yard touchdown, he's throwing the clipboard, he's cursing under his mask, which to a certain extent is what coaches do, but he's becoming more expressive. He's becoming more openly frustrated. And this isn't on, like, huge plays. It's small, minuscule, first down with eight minutes left in the third quarter type of plays. These are not Super Bowl implication plays. These are small plays during the game. And I get it to a certain extent. He's saying, I'm scheming guys wide open. Why can't you make the play? And and, and, and to a certain point, that's true. You can look at Grapple. He's done that. Bethard Mullins, they've all done that. But there is a certain extent... Uh, to myself, which says, what is the answer to Kyle Shanahan's frustrations? It's obviously not Beathard. It's obviously not Mullins. And half the fan base, and even uh, Matt Mayoko, who when he talks, you listen, says, look, Garoppolo's likely not going to be here. He's probably not the answer. If you gave me chips and put my uh, to bet on, I'm not going to bet on Garoppolo being here. So you hit on Matthew Stafford, maybe a veteran guy. Who do you think the answer is for Kyle Shanahan? That's a great question. That's a great question. I had a podcast last night with Javi Vega, co-host of Fourth and Gold, works for Pro Football Network, and we were talking about a potential quarterback carousel and all the quarterbacks that may become available next offseason. This may not be an easy feat to get your hands on this quarterback, but the one quarterback I would trade three first-round picks for. Three first-round picks. That's a lot of draft capital right there is Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is a proven NFL talent. He's a winner. He has championship pedigree. 49ers had a chance to draft him in 2017. They passed. That's water under the bridge now. This is your chance to get a guy who fits Kyle Shanahan's system to a T, has the mobility, has the rocket arm, can make plays all over the field, he is the perfect quarterback. And what I like about getting your hands on a veteran opposed to taking a quarterback like Trey Lance or Zach Wilson in round one is that you know what you're getting. There's always the element of being a bust when you select a draft pick. And for a team that wants to make this season an outlier in the sense where 2019, it looked You made it to the Super Bowl. It looked like you were going to be a contender for years to come. A rookie quarterback could set this team back a little bit. They could still make the playoffs with a rookie quarterback, sure, but they're not in an ideal situation or not in as much of an ideal situation as they would be bringing in an established veteran quarterback. And I think Deshaun Watson is the perfect guy, and I would be willing to go as far as giving at least three first-round draft picks for him. I think if you told Niner fans three first-round draft picks and they can take Armstead and DeFord's contract, they would not say no. Uh, but I guess I, I'm someone who, I guess, the Deshaun Watson name hasn't been thrown out there a ton because of maybe it taking a lot of draft capital to get that. 
And a lot of Niner fans see the window as now. You have to capitalize on now. And of course, Deshaun Watson could be you capitalizing on now. But the names that are out there are Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford. And when you hear those names who might be a little more logical or easier to acquire, I'm just not someone who buys into that. I would rather draft somebody, you know, in the first round. But when I see where the Niners sit, 12th overall, in my estimation, five teams ahead of them could potentially take quarterbacks. Obviously, Lawrence and Fields are going to go one and two, maybe one and three, depending on how the draft finishes out. Uh, Washington needs a quarterback. Maybe Carolina wants to get the guy of the future, but let Bridgewater finish out his contract. Maybe Atlanta wants to get the guy to come uh, come in and carry the torch when Ryan's gone. I'm not saying they will they will take quarterbacks, but the Niners could be in the position to trade up, or they have to trade up for a quarterback. And we looked around the league, and you say Deshaun Watson, Texans traded up for him. The Chiefs traded up for Mahomes. The Rams traded up for Jared Goff. Now you can ask yourself, hey, do you want Jared Goff? Probably not, because you kind of already have him here. But again, the Niners are in a place where they may have to gamble. And so to your estimation, it sounds like you're saying, forego the draft. If you're going to gamble on somebody, gamble on somebody you already know. Gamble on someone you know who can win in the right system, who doesn't have Bill O'Brien trading away all his weapons away in one offseason. But to me, if if the Niners are going to draft a quarterback in the first round, which Niner fans seem to love right now, they're all on Zach Wilson and they're hyping him up, they have to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. They can't be half in on a quarterback. It's got to be we're all in and immediately all in. It cannot be we're going to have the building blocks. You have to start building around him immediately. And trading Garoppolo for a second round pick to New England or a third round pick to New England helps bolster the offensive line, helps get you another corner, helps get you an edge rusher. Because we've seen Kyle Shanahan not be all in on Garoppolo, not be committed to his guy for the last three seasons. And it doesn't work for a multitude of reasons. They have the offensive weapons, Ayuk, Samuel, Kittle, Trent Williams, Mostert. They're going to be there for a while, hopefully. They have the defense. Robert Salas phenomenal. Talked about him all night so far. Now is the time, if they really like a guy in the draft, to put all the chips on the table, don't hesitate, go with him. Because to me, it makes no sense to keep Garoppolo around when you know he isn't the future. So if I'm John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, I'm saying, hey, we found the guy that they believe in. We found the franchise quarterback they want. Jimmy Garoppolo has to go. They can use the money. They can use the draft capital to maximize the window now, build around this kid's weaknesses, attack the offensive line issues, add an edge rusher, find a corner, maybe if Sherman leaves, or find a safety. Like, if if they're going to draft a guy, Garoppolo has to go, doesn't he? Yes, I would totally agree with that. And I think the thought process between Deshaun Watson and drafting a quarterback in the first round, knowing you're going to have to trade up, is very similar. The point being is if you have someone you're in love with, if there's a player out there that you feel like is meant to be that you absolutely need to get your hands on this player to be the quarterback of the franchise for the next 10 years. You trade whatever assets you find necessary that you feel are worth it to get your hands on that player. I am all for the aggressive approach and swing for the fences. If you feel like there's that game changing, that franchise changing player available to you that you got to move up to secure. I'm all for that. As for Jimmy Garoppolo, if this team invests in a quarterback in the first round, you 100% have to move on from him. Jimmy Garoppolo still feels like he can be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. And selecting a quarterback in round one hurts his ego. He no longer feels like he can be a franchise quarterback for this franchise, understandably so. To my point, why the hell would he want to be here? So the conversation then becomes, if you draft the rookie, what's your quarterback room going to look like? C.J. Beathard is set to hit the market. It's his final year of his rookie deal. Nick Mullins is his restricted free agent. Do you really want to enter the season with a rookie and Nick Mullins or C.J. Beathard? I would not prefer that. So then the conversation becomes, which veteran presence can you bring in to A, compete, with the rookie and B, keep the team afloat or even start a spot start a couple games. So I don't know, maybe that's where a guy like Matt Ryan comes in for a year and you have that quarterback, that rookie quarterback being groomed for a season. Remember, Matt Ryan was an MVP in Kyle Shanahan's offense four seasons ago. 
not that long ago, and he's still playing at a high level right now. So there are just so many variables to weigh out. And also, when you look at college quarterbacks, they are coming into the NFL more ready, more pro-ready than ever before. But it still seems like a common theme where teams are reluctant to just throw them into the fire. You look at Tua Tagovailoa and Justin Herbert, who are playing extremely well right now. Neither one of them got the green light starting week one. You had Tyrod Taylor starting for the Chargers. You had Ryan Fitzpatrick starting for the Dolphins. So unless you're a consensus first-round pick like Joe Burrow or Kyler Murray, you were selected first overall. Very rarely do you have the opportunity to play week one. But then again, the 49ers are in this unique position because they're projected to draft high enough to select a quarterback but there are a lot of foundational pieces around that quarterback. A lot is already in place, which really sets this offseason apart from a team like the Jets, who, yes, they can land Trevor Lawrence, but they have absolutely nothing around him. Whatever quarterback is going to come to this team and be the starter in 2021 will immediately be in a position to be successful with the weapons with the ground game that can hopefully return with a healthy Raheem Mostert, with a defense that has hopefully Nick Bosa returning from injury and Fred Warner and a lot of good pieces there. So this is an ideal landing spot for any quarterback. When I look at this Niners team and kind of going back to who they have on the roster now, there is still a part of me, despite Jimmy Garoppolo's faults, that believes in him. And maybe that's because I'm emotionally attached to what he did in 2017 and 2019. It's hard not to be because it was a magical year. We all were along for the ride and it was awesome. But to me, a bigger issue has been the offensive line. And I've said it since the beginning of the year, Shanahan's offense does not work unless the offensive line is playing their A game. Like the offensive line is key to what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. It helps the run game which then helps the passing game in play action, helps get guys open, helps and allows you to do the end arounds and get Ayuk and Kittle open. But the Niners offensive line this year ranks 25th in adjusted line yards, which is the worst of the Shanahan era, and is 17 rankings uh, down from 2019 when they finished 8th. To me, if you maybe want to capitalize on one more year of Garoppolo, I think prioritizing the offensive line in the first few rounds, whether it's the first or second, that's what needs to be done. Not drafting Garoppolo's replacement, but drafting an offensive lineman who can actually block uh, defenders rushing in up the middle. They need a center. They need a right guard. They need someone to help protect Garoppolo. Because we've seen when Garoppolo is healthy, when he has an offensive line, he's a very good quarterback. And the best case scenario for him is Nick Mullins and Beathard can't get it done. That this team does struggle and show they are nothing without Jimmy Garoppolo. He comes in and saves the day. Maybe it's against Dallas. Maybe it's against Washington. But he plays well enough. This team is somewhat like their 2019 self. So, do you think there is some sort of wiggle room where Garoppolo can regain the trust of Shanahan? And they kind of rework how maybe we think they're looking at the draft right now? That is another great question. This is the 49ers' one opportunity to find a potential quarterback who can be the leader of this team for the next 10 years. And that's why it's so tricky to me. Is it really worth – I have no problem bringing back Jimmy Garoppolo, his level of talent, his abilities to this offense. I just – have a tendency to dig a little deeper and look into the relationship between coach and quarterback. And it gives me bad vibes. I don't think I could put it in a better way other than just explaining, looking at the Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy Garoppolo relationship, it gives out bad vibes. And you don't want that within the workplace. You want there to be a positive environment, a positive relationship between your head coach, and your quarterback. And I don't know if the Niners can recover from what's been going on within the organization. There was that report that came out that there were conflicting ideas of how the team should handle Jimmy Garoppolo's high ankle sprain. It seemed like Kyle Shanahan was the advocate that he should come back earlier than others advocated. And 
ultimately it's questioning his toughness, questioning his injury. I just don't think that it's the best move. I would opt to rip off the band, rip off the bandaid and just move on. I can't see this team investing in the offensive line in round one because you have Mike McGlinchey on the right side, who I am not even close to being fond of right now. Mike McGlinchey is in my personal doghouse. He's just getting bulldozed week in and week out. But I'm not a fan of finding and drafting centers and guards in general. I don't think they have enough of an impact on the game, and I prefer to find those guys day two, day three, not round one. So to your point, is there flexibility with what the 49ers can do this offseason? I don't think there is. I think you have to rip off that Band-Aid and start new with a new quarterback. Although I would be fine with bringing back Jimmy Garoppolo's talent or a quarterback of his caliber. Just the relationship is what makes me feel like it's time to start fresh. Well, that's something we've hit on a lot here on the podcast with many people and just kind of asked the question. Like, It just seems like they've never got along. Their personalities never meshed well. You know, whether it's Shanahan didn't like porn star Jimmy or Jimmy GQ and it kind of just didn't, they didn't come together very well. And it, it would be so unfortunate if a clash of personality was the reason that cost the Niners maybe a chance at a franchise quarterback or them losing someone like that. We've seen it before. It happens a lot. But Nick, I want to ask you one final question. And that is the Niners are currently in a bye week. Might be getting guys back like Raheem Mostert, Debo Samuel, Richard Sherman. Can you give us something to be positive to look forward to that isn't a changing of the quarterback guard or how awful Mike McGlinchey has been, how bad Eric Armstead's been? Can you give us something positive to look at and optimistic for the remainder of the season going into the bye in the last six games or eight games of the season? Well, to clarify my stance, it seems like when you talk, whether it be to people on Twitter or to whatever social groups you may have, people are on either side of this fence. You're either on the side of opting to not necessarily throw the season, but you're okay with a losing outcome for the remainder of the season for the sake of a higher draft selection. Then you have the other side where you play to win the game. To quote Herm Edwards, play to win the game. Hello, you play to win. You try to instill that winning culture where regardless of the adversity you're facing, you're going to do your best to win the game. And that's what I'm all for. I'm for the 49ers closing this season on a positive note, winning as many games as they can. And you look at who's coming back, Raheem Mostert, Debo Samuel. I want to see a healthy 49ers offense start to put up points with Nick Mullins. Because remember, Kyle Shanahan's the guy that's supposed to be able to put points on the board no matter who his offensive pieces are. Now he's getting some pieces back. He still has that backup quarterback. This is an opportunity for the 49ers offense to get going. It's exciting to watch an offense put points on the board. The 49ers were so exciting last year when they had the second-ranked scoring offense in the NFL behind the Ravens. So that's something to hold on to. And Brandon Ayuk and seeing Debo Samuel, Raheem Mostert, this is all about the final six games are all about ending on a high note so you can start the 2021 season feeling good about where the 2020 season ended in hopes of doing exactly what you did in 2019 and getting back to that level. Well, building towards 2021 seems like the plan you want to see in place. Improve all the rookies have to play better, improve upon and work towards 2021. Go out there. You play to win the game. That's the Nick Newman motto taken from Herm Edwards. Nick, you were great to have on the podcast. We love having you on. Uh, you were phenomenal. Love the Shanahan talk. Love the Jimmy Garoppolo talk. Love the draft talk. You do phenomenal work uh, for SI and Sports Illustrated. And, and everybody out there, you can follow Nick on Twitter at NinersNick underscore 22. And be sure to check out his Faithful Fanatic podcast, which will be linked in the description below. Nick, thanks for coming on. It was great stuff. Love having you on. Sterling, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Look forward to collaborating with you again soon. Well, guys, Nick was great to have on. A lot of great conversations about Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy Garoppolo, just phenomenal stuff, a lot of insight. He said it's Deshaun Watson maybe coming to San Francisco, or that's what the move he would do. That's big. Maybe it happens. Maybe it doesn't, guys. But if it does happen, you will get the news first. If you follow us on social media, Instagram is at 49ers.access. Twitter is at 49 ers 
underscore access. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave a review. Until next time, my name is Sterling Bennett, and stay faithful. Stay faithful.